Father, as we come to your word now, we, we have one very simple request. We wish to see Jesus. So Father, will you show us your son, Jesus Christ, through your word today. Father, show us once again the good news of the gospel. God, we thank you that you have fulfilled your promise, that you provided a sacrifice for sin. God, we thank you that in your love, you saw us when we were sinners in need of a savior. We thank you that in your grace, you gave us that savior. We thank you that in your mercy, you removed our sins. We can come before you confidently as children coming into the presence of their father on the merit of what was accomplished for us by Jesus Christ. So Father, we want to see him today through your word. And we ask, Lord, today that you would use your word to shape us, Father, to mold us, to transform us from one more degree of glory to the next. Will you make us more like Jesus? Make us more like Jesus today. So, Father, will you now speak to us a word that will edify your church, glorify your name. Father, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. We submit ourselves to it now, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and find your seats. And uh, as you uh, do find your seats this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible. Um, If you're not there already, Matthew chapter 5, we'll be looking today, verses 33 through 37. This is the passage that Dave read for us just a few moments ago. And if you're here today as our guest, my name's Taylor, and I serve here at Cross as lead pastor. Honored to have you worshiping with us this morning. And what our church family has been doing for the last few months is we have been walking verse by verse through the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapters 5 through 7. So we're picking up this morning uh, where we left off last week at verse 33. Um, Two weeks ago was the 21st anniversary uh, of the uh, September 11th terrorist attacks from 2001. And um, those of you who worship with us that morning, Matt Kay from our elder team, just during our time of prayer and reflection and scripture reading, just encouraged us to pause and to reflect and to pray and to remember, and especially to consider how the the events of that day had impacted all of our lives. And uh, so I I took some time to do that. And, And over the last couple of weeks, just rethinking through those events and uh, how those events have shaped not just our world, but my life specifically. Um, I was a freshman in high school, 2001, whenever these attacks took place. And I remember, like many of you, where I was. I was at school. I remember watching the, the TV in the classroom basically throughout the course of the day. And, and the events of September 11th, really shaped so much of the rest of my life as I I started to make that transition from adolescence into adulthood. And one of the most significant impacts it had on me was that it really shaped my decision to join the military. Um, So five years after this, uh, I I, uh, stepped in to serve the National Guard, uh, period from 2006 to 2012. And um, whenever I was uh, walking through the enlistment process, my processing station was in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, I know we got some recruiters in this room, so I want to be careful, but we know how these recruiters move, right? Like they, they they meet with you on Tuesday. They want you like in processing on Wednesday. Um, so that, and so it's all just kind of a whirlwind when it's happening. And so just run through the gauntlet, you know, of taking the ASVAB and going through the medical screenings and the background checks and uh, everything that they're doing to disqualify you. Didn't get much sleep, you know, for a couple of days there. And, and finally, the reality of it started to sink in when it came to the moment when I was sworn in. And, and so for the most part, during the swearing in process, I'm just listening to the, the, the officer there at the station 
I'm repeating the lines after him. I'm not really thinking much about what it is I'm saying, but there I am. I've got my right hand up, and I'm swearing, you know, to defend the Constitution, our country against all enemies, foreign and domestic, which when you turn, you serve in the National Guard, it turns out the enemy is typically stuff like hurricanes and heavy snowstorms. Um, didn't quite know that, but, 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 but that's what I was promising to do. That's the commitment that I was making. And, and when the reality of this commitment finally sunk in was when I got to those words, so help me God. And something about that statement, finally it started to sink in. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, what, what I was finally starting to see was this wasn't just a commitment that I was making to my country. It wasn't just a commitment I was making to the Constitution. It wasn't just a commitment that I was making to a president. I understood as a follower of Jesus Christ, in that moment I was making a commitment to Almighty God. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus calls us to be people who weigh our words. Jesus calls us to be people who weigh our words. And last week we looked at Christ's teaching on the subjects of marriage and divorce. And today we turn our attention to the subject of oaths and covenants and promises and statements that we say that we need to stand by. And what we're going to see in this passage today is very, very simple. It's that Jesus calls us to be people of integrity who are true to our word. Jesus calls us to be people of integrity who are true to our word. Every promise, this is what we're going to see this morning in Matthew 5, every promise that you and I make is ultimately a promise that we make to God himself. So Jesus calls us this morning to consider the weight of our words. So from Matthew chapter 5, I want to read verses 33 through 36. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. So here's the formula Jesus has repeated that we've seen for several weeks. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So we see first from this passage this morning that you and I are accountable to the Lord for the commitments that we make. It is ultimately to God that we are accountable for the covenants that we make, for the promises that we make, for the oaths that we take. We are accountable to the Lord for the commitments that we make. Now, in order to understand the point that Jesus was making here, it's really important for you and I to understand uh, the context of what the Old Testament law had to say about oaths. Otherwise, we're not going to really understand what it is that Jesus was speaking against. Verse 33, when Jesus says, again, you have heard it was said, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. This isn't an exact quotation of any Old Testament law. This was the common teaching of the day of the scribes and the Pharisees, and it was loosely based on what was found in the Old Testament law. So what did the law actually say about making oaths, about making promises and covenants and vows and commitments? This is what we're going to do for, for just a few minutes. We're going to look at what the Old Testament um, has to say about making oaths and taking vows. So I'm going to read here several passages of Scripture. Let's look at what the Old Testament actually says about this subject. Uh, so bear with me here for just a moment. This is Exodus chapter 20. The third of the Ten Commandments remind us that we are not to casually invoke the name of our God. Exodus 20 verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, If a man vows a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. 
Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. Then again, Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 to 23, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is past your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So uh, let's pause here just to recap. What did the Old Testament actually teach about taking vows? I think we can summarize this in, in five basic points. Vows were taken voluntarily and willingly, so nobody was forced to take them. They weren't compulsory. Vows should only be taken in God's name. Uh, third, his name was not to be profaned or taken in vain. So if we were going to invoke the name of God, we shouldn't do this lightly. Fourth, if a vow was made, it was to be fulfilled. And fifth, those who did not fulfill their vows were guilty of sin before the Lord. But more than this, not only were oaths allowed, we see God and many key figures of Scripture take oaths themselves. If you go to Genesis chapter 22, God swears an oath to Abraham as he establishes his covenant with him. Verses 16 and 17, the Lord says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. At the trial before his crucifixion, Jesus himself speaks under oath before the Sanhedrin. Matthew 26, the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. In Romans 1.9, the apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome under oath before God. Romans 1, 9, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you. Then again, Hebrews 6 reflects on the covenant that the Lord made with Abraham. And it says in Hebrews 6, 17, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with what? With an oath. So again, let's just recap here. The Old Testament permitted taking oaths and making vows. Key figures in Scripture took oaths and made vows. God himself took oaths and made vows. So what exactly is Jesus saying here? Because at first glance, it could almost seem like Jesus is going against what's stated in the New Testament. The, the point that Jesus is making, it's not to totally do away with oaths. It's to do away specifically with the kinds of oaths that the scribes and the Pharisees were guilty of making. Charles Quarles has a really good reflection on this in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. He writes, some first century rabbis emphasized only the importance of speaking truth to God and downplayed the importance of absolute honesty in all communication. They thought that they had a special obligation to keep promises made to God specifically, but could break promises made to others when it was convenient. So again, this was what the Pharisees were guilty of doing. They were guilty of finding loopholes that allowed them to justify being dishonest. They wanted to be able to, to somehow biblically justify their ability to lie to others without being held accountable for it. So over the last several weeks, we've repeatedly seen the tendency of the scribes and the Pharisees when it came to the Old Testament law was to arbitrarily decrease the law's demands and to increase the law's permissions. And this is a case in verse 33 to 37 where they had really done both. 
What the religious leaders during the time of Jesus were guilty of doing was finding loopholes in the law in order to justify their dishonesty. So they would rightly teach that if someone made an oath to God, they were obligated to keep that oath. But what they would wrongly teach is that if you didn't make an oath specifically to God, then you were free to break your word. Um, This is a really simple example, but it's honestly a pretty uh, clear reflection of what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. You know, you you think of kids who make promises to one another, but while they're making the promise, what what are they doing behind their back? Got their fingers crossed, right? And and so how does this work out? You know, you got two little buddies like hanging out in the neighborhood. They've each got a bag of candy and and one friend says to the other, says, hey, if you let me have a piece of your candy, I'll let you have a piece of my candy. And that, that sounds like a good deal, right? Pretty simple trade, but, but what this little punk is doing is he's got his fingers crossed behind his back. And, and so his friend gives him a piece of candy, and instead of giving him a piece of candy in return, what's he do? He, he sticks out his tongue, he says, I have my fingers crossed, and he runs up and, and hopefully gets beat up, you know, somewhere else by somebody else, because that's just, that's just a, a punk thing to do, right? But this is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. It, it was like little children saying, well, I know what I said, but I had my fingers crossed I didn't technically make the promise to God. I made it on, on something that was less than, than God, so I'm no longer obligated to keep my word. That They were finding loopholes in the law in order to justify their dishonesty. And Jesus just reveals all of this as hypocrisy. And what he shows them in the next few verses, he says, listen, there is nothing you can swear on that doesn't already belong to God. These are the types of things they would do. Jesus says to them, verses 34 and 35, he says, you can't swear to heaven because heaven is where God is enthroned. You can't swear on the earth because it's God's ottoman. It's his footstool. It's where he kicks up his feet. He says, you you can't even swear on your own head or, or swear on your own life because it is God who has numbered your days and holds your life in his hands. The point Jesus was making to them was, there's nothing you can swear on that doesn't belong to the Lord. So ultimately, any promise that we would make, any oath that we take, is a vow that's being taken directly to the Lord. Even if you swear on something else, ultimately you're still making a promise to him, and you're making a promise before him. Church, we have to understand every promise that we make is a promise that's being made before Almighty God. When we take a vow, when we make a promise, when we swear an oath, when we make a commitment, we are not first and foremost making commitments to relationships and organizations and entities. We are making these commitments to God himself. And failing to uphold commitments not only has ramifications for us here, it is to God ultimately whom we will give account. That's why Jesus goes on to say this in verse 37. One of the simplest sayings of Jesus that we need to embrace today. Verse 37, Jesus says, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. All right, everybody say yes. Yes. Everybody say no. no. These are the categories of response that Jesus has given to us as followers of Jesus Christ. These are the categories of response that he's given us. What it looks like to walk the Jesus way is to be people who, when we say yes, we follow through with our yes. And if we can't follow through with the yes, we say no. Let what you say be yes. Let what you say be no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So we're accountable to the Lord for the commitments that we make. And second, Jesus says we're to be known by the world for the integrity of our speech. We, we as followers of Jesus Christ, more than anything else, and if we're just being honest right now, guys, the, the bar for morality in our culture is pretty low right now. 
And this is like an understated way, a very simple way that you can be radically different than the rest of the world. It's, it's to say something and then follow through with it. It's to be true to your word. It's to be a person of integrity in your speech and in the things that you have to say. I want you to turn with me in your Bible just a moment. Uh, Matthew chapter 23. We're going to read verses 16 through 22 here in just a moment. Um, last year, we studied Matthew 23 back in the spring, and, and what we find here are the seven woes, uh, the statements of judgment and condemnation that Jesus pronounced against the scribes and the Pharisees. And one of the things that he, he uh, just, just clearly condemns them for and, and, and calls them to renounce is this tendency to find loopholes in order to justify their dishonesty. It condemns him for this, just across the board. This is Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22. Jesus says, woe to you, blind guides. And so what he's gonna do here, he's gonna elaborate on what's in the Sermon on the Mount, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound to his oath. So they just had all these arbitrary rules and loopholes to justify disobedience. It says, verse 17, you blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound to his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Jesus just clearly here, Speaking out against the Pharisees here, just with, in no uncertain terms, pronounces judgment against them for the fact that they were continually trying to find loopholes to justify dishonesty. Church, we have to understand, when we break our vows, when we go back on promises, when we abandon our commitments, we, we have stepped off of the path of the Jesus way. We've ceased to be people of yes and no, followers of Jesus Christ, if nothing else, we should be known as people who keep our word. We should be known as people who keep our word. We follow through with commitments. We honor vows, even in the face of struggle and adversity. You know, this passage has been controversial a bit throughout the centuries because um, some have taken these words very, very literally to mean that Christians can't take any sort of oath or vow at all. You go back and study uh, church history, both ancient and modern. Um, during the Reformation period, you had the Anabaptists. They took this to mean that Christians uh, could not serve in the military. Uh, some Moravians today would actually still uphold that as well, would say Christians can't take an oath of office, uh, can't serve terms in the military. And, you know, given the fact, I, I'm just curious, like how many in this room right now, you are either active duty or prior service military? So yeah, about the same in the first service, about 30 to 40% of our people. I think it's an important question for us. It's like, man, are, are all of us in sin, right? Like should all of us skip communion later because we've, we've, we've doubled down on this? I think the, the context here is very, very clear. Jesus isn't saying that we can't take any oath. Jesus is saying that we can't take meaningless oaths. We can't just be guilty of, of saying, yes, I'm gonna do this, or no, I'm not gonna do this, and then not follow through with the things that we've said. He's calling us to be against carelessly invoking God's name in order to justify ourselves. So, so what exactly is he saying in this text? But when we consider the full context of scripture, I think it's really, really clear. Jesus is not forbidding that we take oaths. Jesus is calling us to be the type of people who don't have to. He's calling us to be people of such unimpeachable, impeccable character that nobody ever has to question whether or not we're gonna keep our word. Think about this, like if we make a promise and every promise has to be followed with, I've got my hand on my heart, 
I swear on my mother's grave. I, I promised with my hand on the Bible because nobody's ever broken a promise after putting their hand on the Bible, right? Like that's just ironclad across the board. Now Jesus is saying, man, be the type of person who doesn't have to do this. It is to take God's name in vain whenever we casually invoke his name or swear on anything else and then not to follow through with the promise that we've made. And I think we have to be careful with how we look at this culturally as followers of Jesus. I remember several years ago, uh, there was someone who had been elected to uh, political office, and uh, there was just a huge fuss over the fact that this person did not want to put their hand on the Bible when they were being sworn in. But, but I'm watching this situation unfold. I'm like, okay, the, the person being sworn in did not claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, had no intention whatsoever of, of upholding the morality that the Bible calls us to uphold. And I'm sitting thinking, like, is that not to take God's name in vain? It's just to, it's to demand that someone just symbolically put their hand on the Bible just to satisfy us? Should, should we not take that much more seriously? Should we not expect if someone's going to do that, that they actually believe the morality that's upheld there and that they're going to follow through with what's there? These are things that we shouldn't think about carelessly or lightly. And again, I don't think it's wrong for a follower of Jesus Christ to put their hand on the Bible. I just think we have to be very, very careful that we not inadvertently take God's name in vain by treating it as a ceremony. Jesus calls us to be the type of people who don't have to add to our yes. We don't have to add to our no. We don't have to give assurance after assurance after assurance. Have such in uh, impeccable character, unimpeachable character, that no one requires you to say anything more. I mean, think about this. Why, why do we require people to put their hand on a Bible? But we, we do this because of the presence of sin in our world. We do this because we don't trust that a person's word is enough. And Jesus calls us to be the type of people who take seriously our words. Let's not be people who have to add to our promise. Every promise you make is a promise that you have made ultimately to God, which means that every promise that we break is a promise we're breaking to God. There's nothing we can swear on that doesn't belong to him. You know, it could be argued that the earliest New Testament epistle is the book of James. And this short letter reveals that these words of Jesus had a very, very heavy impact on the early church. It's likely James was being written in the early 60s, early to mid-60s AD, so just a few decades after Jesus' earthly ministry. And this is what James writes in James 5.12. But above all, my brothers... Above all, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why? So that you might not fall under condemnation. Whenever we break vows, whenever we don't follow through with commitments, whenever we, we don't keep the promises that we made, church, all of this could be evidence that we're not actually followers of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this for just a second. We are called to be a direct reflection of the Christ who saved us. And, and the reality is, is that the overwhelming majority of people in this world, they are making their judgments about who Jesus is, making their judgments about who our God is based on the actions and the character that they see in us. What does it tell a watching world? When we preach a God who never fails to keep his promises, what does it tell a watching world when we don't follow through with our commitments? Whenever we don't keep the vows that we've made, whenever we don't uphold the commitments that we've made, what does that tell the watching world about who our God is? John Stott has said this. He said, Christians should say what they mean and mean what they say. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Our unadorned words should be enough, yes or no. And when a monosyllable will do, why waste our breath adding to it? It's so simple for us today, church. 
Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Say what you mean and mean what you say. We are true to our word with others because God was true to his word to us. And I think it's really unfortunate in our culture today in particular, we, we tend to view the Old Testament as if it's somehow obsolete. It's irrelevant for us today, no application for us today. And what we very, very quickly forget about the Old Testament is it's not just a collection of fun allegorical stories with good morals attached to them. That The purpose of the Old Testament was to lay out the promises of God that would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so the Bible that I read every single morning, the Old Testament makes up 896 pages of my Bible. And because of Jesus Christ, that is not just 896 pages of obsolete prophecies. Because of Jesus Christ, that is 896 pages of fulfilled promises. And that's what we miss when we skip the Old Testament. We miss all the promises that God made, which bolsters our faith to see that they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And this is what we have, that God is a God who made promises. He made covenants, and he did not fail to fall through with any single commitment that he made. You know, one of my favorite passages in Scripture is 2 Corinthians 1.20. I, I say that every week, but this is like actually one of my favorite passages of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 1.20, I love this. The Apostle Paul writes, for all, how many, how many of the promises of God? All of them. He says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. All the promises of God. The, the Old Testament is doing nothing but point us forward to Jesus Christ. Every prophecy was pointing forward to Christ. Every law, we saw this just a few weeks ago, found its total fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Every prominent character was a shadow or type of Christ. Everything was pointing us to Jesus, which means, friends, stories like David and Goliath, that is not a fun allegory about how you can fight the giants in your life. You and I are not David. We are scared little Israel on the side of the hill, unable to save ourselves, and here comes a fearless champion who conquers death, and we only get to share in his victory. It's all pointing us forward to Jesus. Every theme in the Old Testament is ultimately revealed in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, for the promises of God find their yes in him, and that is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. That means Jesus is the yes to God's promise that the serpent's head would be crushed. Jesus is the yes to God's promise of the covenant that he made. Jesus is the yes to God's promise that his kingdom would never end. He's the yes to God's promise that Emmanuel would come. Jesus is the yes to God's promise that our hearts would be made new. He's the yes to God's promise that our sins would be forgiven. He's the yes to God's promise that our ransom would be paid. Jesus is the yes to God's promise that the grave would be overcome. Every promise that God has made finds its yes in Jesus Christ. Every yes that God, that his promise finds in Jesus Christ. He's the yes. He is the yes that God has made to his people. So all of God's people respond by saying amen. That's our response. He is the yes and the amen to every promise made by God. So, so why is it so important? Why do we keep our word to others? We, we keep our word to others because God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has kept his word to us. God has kept his word to us. He has never failed to deliver on a single promise. God did not make a single promise that he was incapable of keeping. And he's fulfilled it all in Christ. So, so, so what do we do with this today? 
How do we respond to this God who has upheld and fulfilled every commitment that he's made to us? I want to give us three challenges as we close together this morning, uh, and I'm going to give you all three of these at once. And so it's really, really simple based on what we see in this text this morning. What do we do with this? Jesus calls us to choose our words carefully, to honor our commitments faithfully, and to resolve to speak truthfully. It's that simple. It's that simple for us. He calls us to let our yes be yes and our no be no. He calls us to say what we mean and to mean what we say. It's not sinful to take an oath, but Jesus says, be the kind of person who doesn't require one. Be the type of person who who can simply be trusted. There's no question that you won't follow through with your word and the commitment that you've made. You know, if there's two areas where where Christians in our culture really are struggling to keep our yes, struggling to keep our commitment, it's in the home and it's in the church. You know, last week we we saw what Jesus teaches about divorce and, and, and marriage. And it's not an accident that the section that immediately follows is what he has to say about commitment. That, that's what marriage is, right? I mean, it's, it's about letting our yes be yes. And if we can't uphold the yes, it's about our no being no, but before we come together in, in marriage. You know, oftentimes I'm working with a couple through premarital counseling, and, and we'll get to the subject of vows. And, and so I'll ask the question, hey, are you going to exchange traditional vows? Are you going to write each other's vows? They say, well, we're going to write uh, our own vows. And, and I don't know about y'all, but I've, I've been in some weddings where the vows get real goofy real quick. And it's, and it's a bunch of vague kind of platitudes that are, that are disconnected from the word of God and the commitments of scripture. And so I was, if I'm doing a wedding, I'm required, if you're going to write your vows, I'm going to read them before you exchange them. And oftentimes too, just, just in a very friendly way, I'll, I'll kind of give a, a healthy lecture here. I'll ask the question like, well, do you want traditional vows? Do you want more modernized vows? And, and they'll respond, well, it doesn't really matter. You just pick them. And I'll pause, time out, and I'll say, no, it 100% does matter. It might not mean much to you in that moment when you're thinking more about honeymoon and wedding than you are about having a marriage. It might not matter to you, the words you exchange to each other. It might not matter to the people gathered. It 100% matters to Almighty God, the words that we speak in that moment. The vows that we take, the commitments that we're making. We saw this last week. But when husbands and wives are unfaithful to the vows they've made to each other, the gospel of Jesus Christ is distorted and it's disrupted. Marriage is a visible representation of Christ's faithfulness to us. And friends, Jesus never breaks his promises to his bride. He never has broken a promise to his people. We're not just struggling with commitment in the home. We're struggling with commitment in the church. Um, You've heard some of this already this morning, but part of why we are unapologetic champions of church membership is because Jesus calls us to be people who let our yes be yes and our no be no. Uh, the consumeristic kind of church-hopping culture that, that's prevalent in our culture today, that might be common here, that might be normal here, that is completely foreign to the New Testament vision of the church. What we teach through this verse is part of our membership process. Jesus calls us to let our yes be yes and to let our no be no. You know, over the last week, Ligonier Ministries released their biannual State of Theology survey, and part of the survey covers attitudes about church membership. Now, for the overwhelming majority of church history, it has been assumed that every faithful follower of Jesus Christ would be committed to a singular body of believers somewhere. So so we've got to understand that these attitudes of I need Jesus, but not the church, these attitudes of just me and Jesus, uh, these attitudes of I'm kind of part of the church, uh, not just any single church, these attitudes, you need to understand that that has been formed way more by Western individualism. It's totally disconnected from the reality of the New Testament. 
What we clearly see all throughout the New Testament is every single follower of Jesus Christ wholeheartedly committed to a body of believers in a specific place. But even though that's what's clearly shown in Scripture, even though that's been the common practice for the vast majority of Christians across the vast majority of church history, and what this survey revealed is that in our culture right now, one in four professing Christians sees no need to belong to a local church. And and it's just totally disconnected from the New Testament vision for the body of Christ where we're called to be wholeheartedly committed. We are called, if we have said yes to Jesus, we have also said yes to his church. It's not either or, it's both and. Culturally, there's a major struggle with commitment when it comes to letting our yes be yes in the local church. It's no secret church attendance has been declining annually for a decade, really two decades in, in our culture. Uh, studies show that as many as, uh, as, as you know, 15, 20, some surveys would say 30, 40% of people just dropped out entirely. Whenever COVID hit, those numbers are still pretty fluid as, as the dust continues to settle. Across the board, you know, church leaders report that getting people to serve is, is becoming more and more difficult because as families, culturally, we have a tendency to overcommit to things. And so oftentimes needs go unmet within the body of Christ. And, and, and listen to this one too. This is sad. By percentage, Christians give less to their churches today by percentage than Christians were giving during the Great Depression. And that's in spite of the fact that we are by a long shot the wealthiest generation of Christians who have ever walked the face of the earth. But the more we've been given, the less we have been faithful. And, and so there's this real struggle with commitment when it comes to the local church across the board in our culture. But I want to call a time out here. Because as I was reading through all these statistics and, and, and preparing for this message over the course of the last couple of weeks, I was able, friends, just to praise God and to rejoice. Because while that might be common in church culture, it really hasn't been common here in this body of believers. And, and, and so this is what I want to do as we close out this morning. Like last Sunday's message, heavy, right? I mean, heavy, heavy, heavy. I wanted us to be able to celebrate a little bit as we close together this morning. Because I want to rejoice in the fact that you as a body of believers have let your yes be yes. You, you have put your yes on the table and it's evidenced by our actions that we are following through with the commitments that we have made to Jesus and his church. Now, earlier this past January, we held our first family meeting of the year. And what we did together, those of us who are the covenant members of our church family, uh, we came together, we renewed our membership covenant together. You know, it's been uh, five years now for some of us and it was just, we just wanted to recenter on those commitments and recenter on the commitment of letting our yes be yes. And, and so our membership process, it's, it's framed around these four words gather, grow, give, go that we see uh, throughout the New Testament. And, and so I just want to share some numbers with you, so, some things that, that show the ways that we are letting our yes be yes. You know, right now, uh, as of this morning, we've got 370 adult members. We've got about a couple dozen others that are in process right now. doesn't include kids that belong to all of our families, but 370 adult members. And we have committed to gather. We committed as a body to gather. Now, before COVID hit in 2020, we would have on average around 500 people in worship. I think uh, outside of Easter, I think we had a couple of Sundays. There was a short period of time where we had maybe 540 to 550 people. And, and for so many churches in our culture, once COVID hit, man, they, they were losing 10, 20, 50% of their people. Lots of churches started closing the door. But not only, friends, have we not taken a step backwards, we've taken a big step forward. Over the last two Sundays, we've averaged 670 adults and children in worship. We, we are honoring our commitment to gather. We're honoring our commitment to gather. We, we've committed together to grow. Earlier this year, the beginning of this year, we had 244 people commit to reading through a Bible reading plan in the year 2022. We have more who jumped on just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we committed to grow in community. We currently have 349 people who belong to community groups or Bible studies 
Wednesday nights, we have 60 middle school and high school students uh, attending a crossover with 20 adults serving our student ministry on Wednesday nights. So, so we're following through with our commitment to grow. We've committed to give. And, and as of today, we have over 300 people serving on ministry teams across the board. This is one stat that I love, I think, out of that 300 more than anything else. 300 people serving. And of the 70-ish people who serve our Cross Kids ministry on Sunday mornings, 30 of those who serve on that ministry team are middle school and high school students. Is that not incredible? Can we praise God for, for how that generation is, is leading us in, in their service? Um, this year, we had a really ambitious budget goal at the beginning of the year, $1.3 million. That was a big jump up from last year because it was our commitment that even as we build this facility, we don't want to slow down ministry at all. We said we're not committing to this building if it means we have to take a step back in day-to-day ministry. So we took a step forward. It was a big God goal, like one of those, like, hey, the Lord is going to have to provide in order for this to happen. We're just going to have to trust and to have faith. And so we're going into the final quarter of this year, and we had this $1.3 million goal. Church, we've already hit close to hitting $1.1 million of total giving for this year with three months left to go in the year. But we're fulfilling our commitments to give. We've committed to go. We've committed to go, to go outside of these walls, to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, last week we had several carloads of, of food that was donated to the St. Helena Outreach, the Panther Chow Chamber. We've got dozens of people who are serving on that team and other local ministry partners Radiance Women's Center, uh, Young Life, Young Lives, uh, Wildlife, FCA, um, uh, uh, Lifeline Adoption Services. We have dozens of people all across our congregation who, who are actively serving the body of Christ outside of our walls on a weekly basis. More than that, this year we, we've seen more people come to faith in Jesus Christ through the personal evangelistic testimony of you in our congregation than we've ever seen any other year of our church. I mean, even this, year, this morning, right after the service, we'll have two people who are going to celebrate baptism as, as well. And so, so church, I, I just want to be able to pause this morning in light of what we see in this text and praise God and say, thank you for letting your yes be yes. Thank you for being a congregation who has let your yes be yes, because this is the Jesus way. This is what it means to be the people of Jesus. Like, the world is watching. And, and when we, we say that God is our priority and he's my number one, he's at the top of my life, but then we only have superficial commitment to the body of Christ, well, what does that actually tell them and communicate to them? And so I just want to say thank you this morning, honor you for letting your yes be yes. People of integrity who say what they mean and mean what they say. People who have let their yes be yes. People who are going to let their no be no. That's who we're called to be because that's the Jesus way. When we demonstrate faithfulness in the commitments that we make, we display the faithfulness of God that he has shown to us. And this is what we see of our God all through scripture. Our God never overpromises and underdelivers. He never overpromises. He never underdelivers. He never bites off more than he could chew. He could not have promised us more than he promised when he promised us Jesus, and he delivered in every single way. Because he's let our, his yes be yes to us, we will let our yes be yes to him. So you bow your heads with me as we close this morning. Father, we thank you that you keep your promises. We thank you that every promise you have made is finding its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, has found its fulfillment in him. God, we thank you that because you made it possible for us to be reconciled to you through faith in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we can stand here today in the confidence that your promises are fulfilled. So Lord, it's our desire to be people of integrity, people who can be trusted, 
people who are reliable. God, help us to be people who follow through with our commitments. Help us to be people who say yes and mean it and who say no and mean it. God, as the world watches us and every single day is inundated with lies, with broken commitments, with broken promises, broken vows, help us to be those who display the gospel by upholding our commitments to one another. So Lord, we thank you for what is revealed to us in your son, Jesus. He is the example of your ultimate commitment to us. And we praise you for his example today. So if you keep your heads bowed with me for just a moment, we're gonna transition into our time of communion. And what we see at the table is the ultimate example that God has kept his promise. The prophet Isaiah prophesied of one whose body would be broken, who would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our sins. The Lord made that promise that, that a sacrifice for sin would be provided and he made good on that promise by providing us with Jesus. And that's what we remember at the table. And so we come rejoicing, certainly, in the provision that was made for us, but we also come in confession, we come in repentance. We remember what it cost God to save us and why it is we had to be saved. Our sin had separated us from him. We had rebel hearts turned against him. We were indifferent to him. The one who created us. We sought salvation in the things of this world. We ran from him and yet in spite of our rebellion, he ran after us, he pursued us. And so as you, you just enter into this space of prayer and reflection and confession, I just wanna ask you, have you let your yes be yes? Husbands and wives, are you upholding those vows that you made to one another? Brothers and sisters in Christ, are we honoring the commitments that we've made to Jesus and to his church? What promises have you made that you've not kept? What vows have you taken that you've not upheld? What commitments have you made that you're not honoring? Where do you need to let your yes be yes? But also the other side of that is where do you let your no be no? Where have you tried to be Jesus and say yes to everything? It's leading to letdown across the board. It calls us to be people of integrity who hold fast to our word, who are true to our word. So where do you need to do that today? So fathers, we come to this table. We come remembering Jesus. We come rejoicing in what he's done. So as we pray, as we confess, as we repent, as we sing, as we rejoice, as we reflect, as we respond, we lay ourselves down as a living sacrifice before you. And we ask you, Father, to set us ablaze with passion for the glory of your name. Let our worship be a sweet fragrance and aroma to you. Let it be pleasing in your sight. Let it come not from empty lips, but from full hearts. As we live our lives out of the overflow of Jesus, who is the yes to every promise that you made. We worship you now. Be glorified in the praises of your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.